What's up, Fight Fans? It is um, the 5th of June, 2017. This is the Monday Morning Analyst. I am the host of this little podcast here. My name is Luke Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to go over UFC 212. What an event that was. We'll get a little bit into the IBJJF Worlds as well, but uh, mostly just that. Three parts to the podcast, as always. An overview, some specificity with multimedia aids, and then a look at what's coming up ahead uh, at the end of this coming week, or this week we're in now, I suppose. In any event... Next weekend. In any event, let's get right down to it. UFC 212. This took place, and I cannot pronounce this for anything. The Jeunesse Arena in Rio de Janeiro had an attendance of 15,412. Pretty good. In the main event, Max Holloway defeating Jose Aldo at 413 of the third round. Real quickly, before we go any further, just want to remind you, on my personal YouTube channel, I do a post-fight show. You can check that out right here. I have a lot more thoughts that I won't have necessarily on this program that you might want to check those out. But as far as this is concerned, I'm going to get a little bit to the technique. Number one, I think this was a really clean win. No judges involved. No real refing controversy. In fact, you could argue the fight could have been stopped sooner. That kind of thing. And um, for me, I think what I really appreciate about this is Aldo won the first two rounds on all the judges' scorecards. You might have given him the uh, uh, Holloway the second, but here's the thing. The momentum was clearly headed in one direction, and it was that of uh, Max Holloway. Max Holloway plants seeds and lets you figure out which breadcrumb, or you know, I'm using two different metaphors here, but he essentially lets you figure out um, which path you want to take and forces it on you. And that takes time to do. So he'll give up a round, round and a half, maybe even two rounds. But by then, he's got you where he wants you. I mentioned that in previous uh, iterations of this podcast, he reminds me of Mayweather. Not because he throws similar kinds of punches or has the same kind of movement, but about how he plants seeds or how, how he watches what you do and then slowly makes adjustments. But those adjustments add up over time. And in this particular case, what I really appreciated about him from was a couple of things. Was one, which we'll get to a little bit later, this felt like a combination of like the it was an answer to the Lamas fight and an answer to the Edgar fight at the same time. I'll explain that. But more than that, um, it was a really mature performance. I just appreciated how the striking was I don't know how much t t tape he watched in the Edgar fight, but it just seemed like he figured out like Edgar did all the stuff wrong. Let me do the opposite. Edgar, again, I've said it a thousand times, we're going to look at this in the second segment, but he just knew what uh, Aldo's weaknesses were going to be and then slowly forced Aldo further and further and further into quicksand without even really Aldo knowing it. That's the interesting part. You know, it's one thing for Nurmagomedov where he just runs across the cage and then tries to get a hold of you and puts you on the ground, there's nothing subtle about it, right? It's quite in your face. Um, that's not what Holloway does. Holloway takes away things that uh, you might notice, but some things you won't. And what he did in this particular case is he was working around some of the, uh, this is how Aldo begins to operate, right? He keeps the right up and he does the left sort of bounces around all over the place. He takes advantage of that. He takes advantage of the selective ways in which Aldo sometimes uh, responds in a defensive way by catching him at the end of his movements, which again, I'll explain. How he collapsed the pocket to force Aldo to do that, to then catch him, to then make him think that you shouldn't do that. You should just do trunk movement because now you're tired. I'm going to catch you if you try to escape by switching stances. And so now as a consequence, you just do that. But your defense here is not that great. 
so I'm just going to crush you. Oh, and by the way, you're also a little bit reckless sometimes at the end of combinations. I'm going to take advantage of that as well. It was a masterful performance. He has so many different levels to which he is affecting what you're doing. And to do it against like someone like Jose Aldo, who looked like... Look, even if you don't want to give Holloway the second round, um, or if you do, there's no denying, Aldo looked pretty good the first two rounds. He looked okay the third round, too. It just wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And I have to say, that ending sequence went about a minute and a half where once he drops him and he gets on top, what a horrible way to go. You know, the, the 13 seconds in which he lost to McGregor, at least that was quick. It was, you know, I'm not I'm relatively painless. Dude, to be trapped under someone who's like knee on belling you and then, I mean, sort of, you know, because it was kind of half guard knee shield. But to be underneath and you're squirming side to side, folks, I mean, I realize this. It's one thing to shrimp and get a knee shield and then fire an underhook and stand up and then stand. That's very tiring. But just to go side to side as someone is passing you and then resting their knees on your ribs and then spreading their base out. You know, uh, Dominic Cruz called it a relentless base it's ex or a relentless mount. That's exactly what it was. Not merely in how he was passing and threatening, but just in the distribution of weight. And so what you saw was Aldo rolling, but he was kind of always on one hip or a shoulder. As opposed to being like on a rear end, sitting up and then doing something about it. And if you're just here with the force of gravity, your core having to do all the work, even if he had survived, it wouldn't have mattered. He had no energy left. Um, it was checkmate. It was checkmate. Too late. Wow. What a performance by Max Holloway. Good for the division that a guy like that, it looked like, you know, a, a fight to the death where... You know, someone had to literally take the life, well, not literally, but sort of metaphorically take the life from someone um, in order to succeed. And I really appreciate what Max was able to do. We'll talk more about that in the second segment. Uh, Claudia Gadelia defeating Karolina Kovalkiewicz at 3.03 of the first round. Went back and watched this again. Big bank take little bank. What an absolute domination on the ground. Really, it seemed rushed standing. It reminded me a little bit of how Holly Holm kind of stood up against... Um, Misha Tate, not exactly, because Holm was kind of on her feet. Remember, you want to lean back into someone so you can spin and then face them and separate. You want to get your hips out, shoulders back, but it has to be quick. Like, you got to be really moving on it. And she kind of stood up walking out. They're going to take your back, and they're going to get the 50-50 the, the grip uh, when they do that. And what I noticed her also do was she had one hook in, and she used her other leg to roll her to roll Kovacavich off of her base. I think she tripped that outside leg, which is how she was able to get her over. And then from there, what the really part about, weird part about it is the hand that comes over the neck is the, pretend like there's a knife in there. You stab it, and the other hand comes over the top. That's how it works. The one that goes under the arm is the cupping arm. The one that goes over the neck is the one that... Touches the chest most closely. So here she is. Like Mickey Gall, CM Punk, she rolls to that side. No bueno. Don't allow him to do that. That's the side they want to be on. So all uh, Gadelia had to do was free this hand, come out around, and gable grip, which is exactly what she did. And she did it because Kovalkiewicz was punching. She's, she had Gadelia on her back. She's punching. So she just pulls it out. Boom. Locks it up. Closes the show. Uh, terrible defending on the part of Kovalkiewicz. I don't think that's her best effort, but that was really bad. Really bad. Vitor Belfort defeating Nate Marquardt, 29-28, 29-28, 29-28, unanimous decision across the board. I thought Nate won, but we've had discussions, of course, about judging in the past. What does it really mean? To me, Nate was more active. Um, to me, it was Vitor Belfort doing a lot of activity when he had Nate pressed behind the two black lines or up against the fence where guys cover and they can't quite see. He likes to just unload flurries there because he's, he, has, he was very much noncommittal when he was in the center of the cage. I think he has a hard time pulling that trigger the way he used to, or at least finding openings for the way 
he used to strike. So so that seems to be a bit of a problem. Has not, not much of a guard to speak of. That stand-up was, I won't call it generous, but fortuitous, certainly. Um, he's saying he has five more fights. I don't really believe that. Certainly not on his current, the way which he looks. But um, I guess we'll see after that. But I don't know what there really is to take away from this fight. Marquardt looked better. You know, he clearly was sticking to a game plan. And this is a better matchmaking for both guys than fighting the Kelvin Gastelums of the world, right? For their health. But I don't know. Not a whole lot to say about this one. Uh, Paulo Bohashinya defeating Oluwali Bangboshe at two, one, excuse me, 106 of the second round. Bangboshe, man, this guy's got real problems because he's obviously got a ton of talent, very athletic, hard hitter, but he just keeps doing this where he just, you know, goes out there like a demon and then can't sustain any kind of offensive pressure at all. Bohashinya, I think, has a long way to go before he be, is part, part of this next crop of, of, you know, MMA superstars, but... Um, but it was nice to see him pass this test where, number one, I think he's a, he, I think he's a natural finisher. And it was nice to see that he w- didn't try to meet Bang Boshe. Uh, there was a little bit of brawling, of course, but he at least was mindful enough to recognize this is not a, a reasonable path to victory. I think he was probably tempted at times and did bite on that apple a little bit. But nevertheless, the, the big takeaway for me is less about any one individual technique or the other and more about um, poise and comfort and discipline in the way in which he competed. Yancy Medeiros defeating Eric Silva at 201 of the second round. Man, Eric Silva had the hand up, and then the hook came around just at the tip of the chin, just as the glove was a little bit off. Eric Silva has his hands here. I'm surprised this is not a bigger liability in MMA striking generally. You see a lot of hands here. Marlon Moraes is real good about keeping his hands like this, elbows kind of in, sitting in front of the ribs. I mean, there's a little bit of space, right? But he's real good about this. I really, really like that about him. But for Yancy Medeiros, neither of these guys, they were, they were both getting chewed up a little bit. It was just that Medeiros came in off that left hook, the dueling Carlos Condit, Dan Hardy left hook, came in, bang. Uh, I think it was a right hook in the case of Hardy and uh, Condit. But the point being is the far side hook coming over and popping the guy, and he just caught him clean. He did. He felt like he was doing a break fall, and then he got on top. And uh, I thought the stoppage was early, but nevertheless, he was probably in a little bit of trouble. But the bigger issue to me is sort of the striking defenses of both these guys. Um, they were both absolutely getting teed off on, and neither was doing a whole lot about it. So to me, it was like, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure Medeiros takes confidence in this victory, and I suppose that he should, but if I was speaking to him, I would be like, there are still some defensive liability issues that they both were demonstrating that. Uh, need to be corrected for. Medeiros a little too willing to take uh, punishment. And the other thing about Medeiros that I don't like is he's really willing to take a back step. He takes back steps all the time. Nurmagomedov does that to lure you in, to give him space for a takedown. Uh, this to me is just, you, you know, you want to take side steps or forward steps. You don't want to take a whole lot of back steps if you can avoid it. And he often is getting pushed back a little bit. Something else to worry about. Uh, as I mentioned on the on prelim card, Rafael Sunsau defeating Marlon Moraes. Very, 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 very close fight. To me, that 30-27 for Sunsau, not very justifiable. 29-28 is what the best I think you could have said for him. But, you know, we know judging is a fraudulent exercise. So, to me, I thought Moraes looked pretty good, a little bit hesitant. The right hand was landing over and over again for Sunsau Because while he's good here, there's just a lot of lazy jabs out there. And Sunsau was taking advantage of it. Not a ton of really effective stance switching, but... Someone noted on Twitter, he's really good at making exciting fighters. Not, well, he, they, I think someone said boring, but it's more than that. But certainly bringing them down 
making them careful about what they're going to be doing, how they're going to be doing it. Good takedown defense, I think, on both sides. Aslan Sasha on tremendous takedown defense, um, especially uh, even later in that fight. Good cardio from both guys. So tough first fight, and I said this on my post-fight show. I'll repeat it here. This is, to me, not an indictment of Marlon Moraes at all. Rafael Sunset was a bad dude, and this guy hung in there. Absolutely, you could argue he won it. And more importantly to me, um, you've seen guys from Hector Lombard. Uh, I think even, wasn't Luke Rockhold's? UFC debut? Let me see what his was. I believe his UFC debut was kind of nubs, too. But I could be wrong about that. Let's see. No, he did all right. No, sorry, I'll be wrong. The Vitor Belfort fight. Right, so he had a bad first UFC experience. Um, um, Will Brooks won, but had some issues. You know, a lot of these guys come over from Bellator, Bellator sometimes can stumble a little bit. To me, it's... Uh, and I know this is not Bellator's World Series of Fighting, but but to me, it's... Um, it's uh, I thought I saw enough to say when he gets more comfortable and gets a little bit another one or two camps under him and he gets some momentum, I think he'll be contending for a title in no time. I really believe that. I've got a lot of faith left in the ability of Marlon Moraes. Antonio Carlos Jr. defeating Eric Spicely at 349 of the second round. Uh, I said this on my post-fight show. I'm going to repeat this here because it bears repeating. You can literally make a case that that fight, more than any other fight I've ever seen, maybe in MMA or the UFC, had modern guards from sport jiu-jitsu at a high level used in this contest. Unbelievable. Unbelievable some of the things you were watching there. 50-50 guard play in an MMA fight. It was unthinkable years ago. Not anymore. 50-50 uh, guard passes inside or reverse De La Hiva. De La Hiva. De La, De La Hiva to Baron Bolo. I mean, you, this is modern guards. You know, modern guards are not... You don't see a lot of full guard play in modern MMA uh, or modern jiu-jitsu, right? You're seeing a lot of different, you'll see spider guards and worm guards and a lot. Of, there's a lot of leg entanglements. You guys are spinning upside down. You're seeing a lot of that, especially you saw that with Antonio Carlos Jr. And there's a bunch of different attacks from inside a reverse De La Hiva. He was doing that to twist underneath, to come back around, to sit up, to take a leg. Incredible stuff, incredible stuff. And Eric Spicely was right there with him for a big portion of it. Someone emailed me and told me a story that this guy was a purple belt and was visiting uh, uh, affiliate schools from the guy he got his purple belt from. And the, the guy who gave him his purple belt was hearing from these affiliate schools that, um, that um, Spicely was on the road traveling and was submitting brown and black belts at these affiliate schools. And they're like, well, wait a second, what is a purple belt doing? And they called his instructor, man, like, why haven't you given this guy a brown belt? And so apparently as soon as he got home or at some point down the road, they gave him a brown belt because there was, I mean, it's just crazy that this guy was a purple belt and out there hustling on brown and black belts. He's a very, very good one. But Antonio Carlos Jr., man, uh, is, is, is a phenom, a world champion, right? This is, this is a legit dude. And I was so happy, so happy to see jiu-jitsu in a modern context be applied in this. I don't think I've ever seen two guys use more modern jiu-jitsu in a fight in my life. Even Demi and Maya use a super high-level jiu-jitsu, and he used some empty and reverse half-guard stuff uh, in the Gunnar Nelson fight. But, but you know, that was mostly Gunnar fighting for his life a little bit, and he typically doesn't do that. He typically does, you know, weird, unconventional stuff, but it's mostly, when I say unconventional, unconventional, it's not like you see, uh, it's, a, it's a deviation from the old style. It's not a incorporation of the new stuff. I don't know how you would do spider guard in MMA because it's mostly that's the gi gripping uh, scenario, but 
to me, I'm blown away by the guard play in this one. If you've not seen Spice Lee taking on Shoe Face, go check it out. Unbelievable. And, of course, at the end, using that rear naked choke and then bowing him out, which is insanely uncomfortable. But my hat goes off to these two. Two middleweights who went out there and put it on the line and did so using an, a modern way of doing things. I loved it. I loved it a lot. Really great stuff. Uh, Matthew Lopez defeating Johnny Eduardo. 257 of the first round. This was like Dennis Hallman, Frank Trigg all over again. He was trying to go for a heel hook on the one that had the ankle wrap with no control over the rest of the body, which is not, by the way, what Shoeface did uh, to Eric Spicely, which is not what Gary Tonin did to Shinya Aoki, which is not what anyone high level really does. I'm not saying he's not high level on the ground, but that was not a high level application. If you don't control the other leg in modern jiu-jitsu, you don't control them from being able to turn or spin, and you're just going after the one ankle, you're, you're going to get him at a low level. You're not going to get him at this level. And Matthew Lopez made him pay and was banging on him. And he still did not let go. Because I guess he didn't want to end up, like, if you let go, you'll end up getting mounted or passed or something like that. And uh, he, got, he got absolutely crushed. Mario Yamasaki didn't help matters by letting it go long. Brian Kelleher defeating Yuri Alcantara at 148 of the first round. I would love to hear, I would love to feel his squeeze. I know some folks were like, that didn't look right. Okay, well, it was unusual, but it looked right to me. A, a, a sort of a Marcelo Tien setup, but, you know, Marcelo Tien doesn't typically have the arm in, but the sliding of the knee, leg over the top, you're sitting on the same side hip as the arm that is wrapping around the head. And the key on any kind of arm in is you really got to be choked up high on the neck. For some of these other ones, you can kind of play a little bit with that distance. For that arm in, you got to be real nice and high. You shouldn't see the back of their head at all. Go back and look at the finish. Go back and look at pictures. You'll see you can only see the back of that neck on Yuri Alcantara. Dead giveaway that that thing was deep. And you can see him. He actually sits for it and then chokes up a little bit higher and then resits uh, with a more stable leg and elbow and hip position. And I think that's when he really choked up on it, really got behind that head. you got to pull that head like you're trying to pop it off, not straight up, but out and around. And uh, and he did it. He did it. And you're not pulling straight back. You're, like, curving it in, yeah? Um, Vivian Pereira defeating Jamie Moyle. This was the 30-27, 29-28. Apparently, Vivian Pereira had pink eye and didn't train 20 days out or couldn't spar 20 days out from the fight, so... Kind of impressive that she'd be able to perform. Uh, Luan Chagas defeating Jim Wallhead. I went back and watched this fight at 448 of the second round. What an impressive performance by Jim Wallhead. Boy, he had Jim Wallhead confused, and understandably so. Chagas was doing an incredible job with stance switching, where he had Wallhead walking into traps left and right, quite literally left and right. It, it was a phenomenal job. You know, Brian Stan kept talking about the arc of the punches, and I think that's definitely right. But to me, when I was going back and I was watching on slow motion, I watched the whole fight in slow motion again just to see everything I could see. Chagas was not just switching sides, switching stances on the outside and then giving Wallhead different looks. He was switching stances, throwing, reacting, dodging, switching stances, landing, switching stances, landing, switching stances, landing. He'd do it two, three times in the course of a combination. Really incredible stuff. Much, much better performance from him. Looking forward to seeing what's next. And then Davison Figueredo defeating Marco Beltran at five minutes of the, or at the end of the second round. Um, the bonuses went to Fire of the Night, Max Holloway, Jose Aldo. Performance of the Night went to Claudio Gadelia and Brian Kelleher. I'll give the card about a B plus. 
My fighter of the card, definitely going to be Max Holloway. Very quickly, the IBJJF tournament for the Worlds, the Mundials was this past weekend. Bouchesha winning again, double gold. Uh, ten titles now, five in his weight class, five in the open division. He has now tied Hodger Gracie as the most decorated jiu-jitsu black belt in professional competition ever. Uh, so consider that for what it's worth. Had an incredible match with Leandro Lowe. Bouchesha is one of these guys where he can be down on points and he finds a way to catch a sweep or to sit up and then go for a takedown and get on top. And he has to kind of muscle it sometimes or use his athleticism, but he was able to do it. Phenomenal job by Lowe. And there was one thing I want to say about what Lowe was doing. If you guys go back and watch, Bouchesha was had him, he was turtling over. Bouchesha was trying to take his back and it was waiting for a moment to sink his hips, uh, sink, uh, sink the hooks. And uh, Lowe crawls out off the mat. Jiu-Jitsu, uh, there's one criticism about point jiu-jitsu is that they don't really call enough penalties. They don't really give enough, they don't they don't force action enough in the way that maybe like collegiate wrestling would. And they're constantly on that whistle with like you're stalling, you know, let's restart the position. They're just really kind of maintaining action. And this, this one didn't change the action. Jiu-Jitsu doesn't do that. But they called him finally. For fleeing the mat, critical, critical call because that's ultimately I think what won Bouchesha the contest, or maybe he had two points up. I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember, but uh, in any case, that was a critical call as well, um, and uh, and I really was happy to see that. Second of all, uh, Dylan Dennis did poorly, uh, losing in his weight class, I think, to some guy from Atos, and then against uh, Luis Panza, who's much bigger than him, uh, and he lost. The score looked like 11-2. to two. It was tight the whole way. At the end, he just kind of collapsed. Um, he got swept and then uh, passed. And ultimately, that, that made the score look like it did. But it was it was tight for a while, but he didn't have a strong showing. If he's going to go into MMA, it looks like his days as a potential competitor or um, elite competitor in jiu-jitsu are done. Also, shouts to Mikey Musumechi. Uh, he is the brother of Tammy, who had that nasty armbar loss a couple years ago when the arm was taken not just this way, but behind her back, uh, if you guys remember that. But uh, Mikey Musumechi, he becomes the first American male black belt to win since 2007. So we have another American who is a black belt world champion, and the last one was Havato or Lovato Jr. Uh, in 2007. So unbelievable. Great, great job by him uh, squeaking past uh, Joao Miao. Um, I believe that's who he beat. But yes, in any case, uh, Mikey Musumechi is a black belt world champion in American. So congrats to him as well. All right, with that out of the way. Oh, good job to buy Flow Grappling, by the way. If you guys didn't watch on Flow Grappling, now they had highlights. Kenny Florian called the black belt finals. Um, they had a great job of different angles on each mat now. Usually it's just like one fixed feed. You can get a couple of different angles on these mats in certain cases. So I was really, really happy with their coverage. It was great much and much improved over previous years. Able to get the replays. It's critical. All right, with that out of the way, let's do this. How did Max Holloway, what were some of the keys to Max Holloway's victory over Jose Aldo? Let's take a look at those now. In trying to understand how Max Holloway got past Jose Aldo, I decided to go back and, I, and watch some more recent Max Holloway fights. I mean, there's a bigger claim to be made here about his development and the things that he does. But the big fight to me, the one I took a lot of weight from, even though Lamas used a lot of leg kicks, was the Ricardo Lamas fight. And the reason why is, first of all, it's just amazing he spent most of this fight, you'll see, in conventional, but he did switch a little bit. 
he did the exact opposite in the fight with Lamas. He spent most of it southpaw and then also switched a little bit. But that's really where I mean the commonality comes from. I'm just pointing out that you know this guy can go and fight southpaw and beat Ricardo Lamas. They can go and fight Orthodox and he can beat Jose Aldo. Pretty impressive. And ne- and he nearly stopped Lamas and of course he did stop Aldo. But here here's what I noticed from him. Um, what he likes to do is sometimes he'll switch up on the outside. We see a lot of guys do that. They switch up on the outside. They'll show you which side they're going to, right? And so that can be confusing. You go back to the Chagas-Wallhead fight. That clearly was an issue for him. But that's not what Holloway did in that fight against Lamas, and it's not what he did on Saturday either. Instead, what he did was, in the Lamas fight, he stayed in southpaw almost the entire time, circled certain directions, but then when he got Lamas backing up and got him close to the cage, that's when he began to switch sides uh, to really confuse him. In this fight, what he did with Aldo, a little bit different. Uh, He spent most of the fight in orthodox, and he, I think, knew and had anticipated quite correctly, and Aldo gets out of the way, especially early, he takes these big motions circularly, right? He takes these circular uh, escapes, which is technically what you're supposed to do, but they're big and they're long and uh, they take a lot of energy. And I think they're a little bit predictable over time. Certainly you can sort of measure which way this guy is going to go. And what he got him to do was as he was able to close in range and get him to sort of push him in a circular direction, he would switch stances and then catch him on the end. Something similar to, not exactly the same as Anderson Silva versus Forrest Griffin, right? Where you're running into one side, but the guy has switched stances, so now it's his, it's a, you didn't see it coming. It's coming as a different angle. It's just a little bit different of a punch. So that's, ac- that's actually what happened. And I think in the end, that's not what caught him. You're going to say, well, it was a 1-2. He bounces back, hits another 1-2. Right. I think a big component of that was that He was being countered on these big arcing motions on the outside that are taxing in terms of your amount of effort you have to put in. And two, because he was getting countered a little bit and Holloway was getting better and better by collapsing the pocket, forcing him to escape, and then catching him on the end of it, he decided to sort of, you know, use trunk movement in the center of the cage. And it really cost him. Let's take a look at how that happened. So I mentioned some big picture stuff, but there's actually obviously more to the story than just that. I think what you'll see here is... The Lamas fight is instructive in that, you know, it's instead of fighting southpaw, he's fighting orthodox, only switching under certain conditions rather than switching out in the open. But this was the opposite to me of the Edgar fight. If you go back and you watch the Monday Morning Analyst, what you see is this is kind of the angle that Edgar wanted. Edgar would start here and he would float to the center and then float just a little bit more to his left to create a lane for this right hand. Not Max Holloway, not what he's doing. Max Holloway, you'll see the entire time he circles away from Jose Aldo's power hand and that knee. Because as you remember from that fight against Edgar, they were very potent weapons, right? That's the first thing you're going to notice. He's going to be circling always counterclockwise here. Number two, what you're going to see is Aldo keeps his right hand close to his chin and then uses his left hand sort of up and down, up and down, up and down. That, I think, is what Holloway was keying off of. I mentioned, of course, the thing about all the arcing back and switching stances. We'll get to that in just a minute. I just want to sort of note some of the other things that played a role here. That's the other one here. Everything from Holloway was circle to the right, key off your own jab, counter him if he follows through, collapse the pocket, push him back, counter him as he moves back, and then fire this 
around the top or through the middle, depending on what he does. But they didn't want to go left to create open lane. They wanted to go this way and then come around the glove almost always. And then if he faded this direction, switch stances and catch him. All right, so let's see that. I think ultimately this played a role in taxing him. And then as Aldo slowed down and made defensive decisions in accordance with that, right, things that would be less taxing, that's when some of these things came into play and it really paid off for him. So here we are. You'll see him. Watch, watch the, the direction he moves here. It's this way. Exact opposite of what Edgar was doing. I mean, Edgar would start here to sort of reset position, but he wanted to fade left, not Max Holloway. He is going this way the whole time, all right? So let's see what he does here. Early on, he had a little bit less success, and we're jumping right to the second round. First round is a little bit less of this. Second round is when some of this fruit really began to um, uh, be seen. All right, you can see him circling to the outside here, circling this direction, Jose Aldo, keeping eyes on him. And what you're going to see is he jabs here. He's not very close, right? I don't think he lands the right. He tries to come over. I think, yeah, we, this is a little bit later in the fight. Yeah, just so he is jabbing. He's far away. Jose Aldo knows it, but this is still early in that second round. Just sort of, I just want to point out the motion and the direction here. This is everything. Fading this direction, popping the jab. Right hand is not thrown here, but you'll see that in a minute. Here we are at 40, just like, I think a few seconds later. He comes down, fades the left. He's going to chuck the right. Look at Aldo, giant hole on the body. Giant hole over the top. Aldo goes back and forth between flicking this and landing here. Flicking this either as a parry and then coming over the top. Just always using this motion against him. Boom. Misses here. But watch how Aldo circles out. Right? Look how far back he is. And he goes actually back to this direction. Holloway sees it. All right? Let's keep going. All right? Let's see what, Aldo, or what Holloway does here. He... Pumps the jab to see what Aldo does. Aldo doesn't really move. Holloway's going to fade this direction like that. Take a big step forward. Aldo freezes because he catches the timing of it just right. Comes through, pops him. Now he has collapsed the pocket. The right hand here, let's see how he throws it. Boom, to the body because he knew he was too far away. That hook doesn't really land for Aldo. This was another one of his tricks. He... Starts out, sort of measures distance to see what happens, fades right, collapses the pocket at once, surprises Aldo with the timing, and then comes around one, two, right? Let's keep going. Here's another one, 29, I think this is a little bit later. Yeah, this actually follows up here by going to the body again. All right, 406, let's see what happens here. All right, Aldo and them are facing off, they're pretty good distance, let's see what happens. Here he is coming in, seeing, engaging Aldo's reactions, right? Jumps into pocket. You can see that again. See how he does that? He times it just right. Waits for Aldo on the half step. Moves in the middle. We've talked about that half step stuff over and over on this podcast. What does he do? Boom. Throws to the body again. Easier to reach. Harder to be countered. Aldo's already backing up. It's going to be hard for him to pop that knee. You can see he's even leaning a little bit offside just to make sure he doesn't get caught with the rear knee, which is the one that Edgar hit up. Slowing him down, putting you know, investing in that body work. Smart stuff here from uh, Holloway. 310, they're facing off. Let's see. Guarantee he's going to fade this direction, right? Boom. There it is. Every time, right? He's circling that way. Let's see what he does here. He's going to come over the top and parry. Let's see what happens when this uh, properly digitizes. Boom. Comes over the top of the glove. That's what I'm talking about. And kind of leans off a little bit as well. Let's see what happens. Aldo turns and Holloway, look at this, right? Which, go back here. This is an orthodox stance, is it not? It's right-handed, 
Right hand is back. Watch this. Throws the right. Waits for Aldo to move. This foot takes a giant step forward. Bink. Now he's standing in a uh, left-handed stance. Cracks him. That's how he switched stances. Ever so briefly. Didn't do it when Aldo was in really in a position to counter. Did it to catch him moving in a certain direction. I didn't really catch this in real time. I didn't realize he was switching stances. They were saying, why isn't he switching more stances? Why isn't he? Well, he doesn't do it in the open. He does it when you're on the move and you can't counter him. And he's got you dead to rights as he anticipates the trajectory of your escape. That is that is nasty. Nasty, nasty stuff. That's how he gets them. It's real easy. Not real easy. It's a little bit easier if someone's just switching stances in front of you. That's not what Holloway does. He does it in movement. Similar to what TJ Dillashaw does, in this case, on the escape by Jose Aldo. That is vicious. All right, we keep going. Just a few seconds later, they're facing off. And by the way, the intensity of his volume and pressure goes up over time as well, which I think contributed to some of Aldo's fatigue. All right, slips the punch. There's the fist of Aldo. He slips it. What's he, this is the angle that he wants the whole time. The, the, Aldo is giving him the angle. You notice, what did McGregor do to Diaz? He did, For all different kinds of reasons. He did an inside slip and came over the top. This is an outside slip. What's he going to do? Now, right, he's going to fire that. He fires a right to the body. Fires a left over the top. That cracks him. Let's see what happens here because I think he switches stances here as well. Right? Uh, Aldo escapes. He tries to switch stances on him and misses, but at least he's making Aldo work, right? Big, long, arcing escapes. These take a lot of energy, and you can't really throw offense as a consequence. It allows Holloway to really get in there, collapse that pocket, push him back, make him work, and invest in that for a later uh, time in the round. Halfway through, look how far apart they are. Let's see what happens, right? Boom. Comes in with a right hand. I believe this is around the glove. And then changes stances on him. Again, I believe, hold on, let me see this, yes, yes, look at this, changed, here we go, hold on, right-handed stance, right, right hand is back, throws it forward, hasn't quite taken it the full step around, and then he takes that big step forward, now he's throwing this as a hook, now he misses, but he's switching stances and making Aldo work, in the middle of transition, in the middle of all this big movement. That's what I'm talking about. Let's keep going. This is the same time or not? Yes, it is. Ducks down and, and almost caught him again. All right. And then now look how all that... Yes, Aldo was able to go back to the center of the cage, but that's a lot of work for a guy who doesn't have super amazing cardio. Okay? Here we are, 48 seconds. Let's see what happens, right? They're looking, they're looking, they're looking. Aldo, here, everything is, look, fading off that left side. He fakes it. Let's see what he does. Uh, throws it. Aldo slips out of the way. Now he's backed up against the fence. Hard to take big motions when you're up against the fence, right? A, he's probably tired. B, where are you going to go? You're impeded by that. Holloway knows that, fakes it, knows he's going to slip to the outside. That's what he always does. He's not, he's not going to slip to the inside. He's going to slip to the outside. And then Aldo thinks it's a head kick. Instead, he lands a body kick. Watch this. Then he throws a right hook from a left-handed stance. Does he not? Yes, he does. And then he gets out of the way before Aldo can do it. Switching stances in the middle of combination. Switching stances as Aldo's on the defense. And in certain cases, switching defense, or switching stances as Aldo is moving to escape. That is amazing. Didn't catch hardly any of this in, uh, in real time. At least not appropriately enough. All right, here they are. 32 seconds. Let's see what happens. 
Right-handed stance, right? Let's see what happens. Fires the jab, right? They clinch. Let's see what happens as a consequence. He gets pushed out, Holloway does, but stays in that left-handed stance and throws a right hook over the top, which scores. At the end of the round, there's Ho- there's excuse me, not Holloway. There's Aldo breathing pretty heavy. Let's jump to the third and final round. Not a whole lot to this one. Now he's really putting the pressure on him. Yeah, getting warmer and warmer and warmer. And what you see here is he's throwing the jab. Nothing really happens at this moment, but I want you to look at the kind of pressure and intensity he's putting on Aldo. In the first round, he was really just sort of circling him on the outside. He wasn't cage cutting. Now he's cage cutting. And this sequence here, if you go back to 424, they go all over this space here where Aldo's trying to get away, trying to juke him, and he can't really do it. Much more intensity. Much more intensity positionally in the cage for Max Holloway. You are a frog in a pot that is slowly boiling. You don't realize you're in trouble until it's too late. The, wa- the water gets warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer. And by the time it's scalding, you can't get out. Uh, pretty incredible how he does this. He just slowly accumulates different weapons to, to damage and control you. All right. So let's, here we go. Let's see what happens here. They're doing their bit. They're facing off. Let's see if Aldo, or rather Holloway, moves. Right, fakes it up front. Here comes the hand behind it. Let's see what he does. As soon as this renders, this computer is super nubs. Right, goes to the body. Does he not? Let's see. Aldo throwing that left up high. Now he gets away, but I'm just sort of pointing out look at him early, making him work. All right, and then you can see him trying to catch him over the top at the end there. Holloway immediately follows up. Here he's in a right handed stance, of course. Goes to the body, switches stances, come over the, comes over the top in the middle of the combination, catching him over the top here against the fence. Look how many more sequences are against the fence. Look at how switching stances, not out in the open, but in transition, is what's giving Aldo a lot of problems. Okay, so now we come to the beginning of the end. And let me say something here about this timestamp, 255. I can't put everything in this because this podcast will just go on forever. But if you go back and you watch, let's say, the last 15 seconds before this, Holloway is putting the pressure on him. And Aldo is exchanging at times and landing at times, right? He had moments in this fight, certainly in that first round, where he was doing really, really well. But at a minimum, as I mentioned before, Holloway is making him work. Holloway is cage-cutting much better. They're in the center here, but generally speaking in this round, he's really up the intensity. And just prior to this, they had a number of exchanges, a number of times, even if Holloway missed, was still pushing him back, firing, pushing him back, moving, dodging, ducking, the whole bit, just constantly in his face in a way that he wasn't even in the second round, certainly not in the first So you get to this moment and you add up everything that this guy has been taking these huge, long, arcing escapes. Uh, um, Certainly, uh, Holloway has been catching him in transition, switching stances. We saw him switch stances just a second ago, about a minute ago, not even, right? A minute ago, he got caught again up against the fence, switching stances, right? Boom. That brings us to this position. So what is Aldo going to do? He's probably a little tired. We saw him breathing heavy at the end of the second round. And again, Holloway has been in his face. You can see Holloway's been eating jabs too. It's not like Aldo went out there pretty quietly. But this is how he sets it up. What's he going to do? He raises that front hand. Everything is off of this, right? Everything. Pops it out. You see Aldo's hands. You can't even see where his left hand is. Right hand is wide open. So he just drives it down the lane. Yeah? Throws a right hand. It looks like it lands in this sequence. I don't think it does. But one other key feature to this whole fight that people don't really want to talk about with Aldo, it's been a consistent problem of his, is that he's usually the better striker and he's got great defensive wrestling. This is one issue we need to discuss with Jose Aldo a little bit. He's uh, obviously a very good striker and a very powerful striker, but at the end of combinations or when he gets really pressured, he can act wild at times. 
And that is what, in addition to the fatigue and the movement and the other countering issues, Holloway is banking on. Uh, he catches him with the one-two, as you saw. Then you see Aldo do this. He throws this left hook over the top inadvisably, to put it mildly, inadvisably, because he's just reacting in real time. You can see he doesn't really have his balance under him, and Holloway does. He's barely making eye contact. He's just kind of reacting to getting hit with his jab. Not not so much with the cross, maybe a little bit, but with that one, with the one-two, he could felt it, and so he just reacts over the top and throws this left hook. But that's bad, because as soon as he does that, Holloway just times it. Bink, bink. And that's the shot here, a 252, that right hand. That's the one that drops him, and he collapses to the canvas. So it's just that there's a, there's a complexity, certainly. I mean, there's no denying it. There's a super complexity to Holloway's game. But there's a certain simplicity in how it is applied. Everything is applied appropriately, within reason, within time, at the right moment. It's just a real patient, but cascading kind of offense that he has and for all the good things that Aldo does I don't know why I didn't throw leg kicks for example but for all the good things that he does there there are some things that he has been getting away with for a little while being a bit of a brawler using a lot of energy using that athleticism to get out of the way when you can find a guy like Holloway who maybe isn't the same kind of athlete as Aldo but a very very good one and then can use his own athleticism uh, to at least keep himself in the ball game, but then can use superior tactics to take advantage of all the things Aldo does wrong. It's just a major problem for him. It's a major, major problem for him. And so in the end, this is why Max Holloway is your featherweight champion. He took his time early, saw the mistakes that Aldo was making, saw the mistakes other guys, I think, made in fighting Aldo, like Lamas, like Frankie Edgar, changed the direction of what he was doing, saw that that left hand of Aldo was kind of low, that he can, if you pressure him and make him work, that he can get tired, that he can be taken advantage of with stance switches in transition as he exits on an angle. And then in the end, as he decides to merely plant his feet and use trunk movement to get out of the way and react wildly when being hit off a jab and a distance he's been measuring, then you can just get a one-two, pull back, one-two. It's 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 so simple you can't believe it worked, but it did, and it worked because Max Holloway is an incredible talent. And last but not least, we take a look at what's coming up in the week ahead. Now, as usual, there are smaller events that happen all over the world, but the big one, insofar as you can say big, is going to be UFC Fight Night 110. UFC Fight Night Lewis versus Hunt, aka UFC Fight Night Auckland in New Zealand. That is fun at the Spark Arena. Uh, this is going to be headlined by a heavyweight contest between Derek Lewis and Mark Hunt. The co-main event, Derek Brunson taking on Dan Kelly. Boy, that's coming under the radar. Jesus. Dan Hooker is going to take on Ross Pearson. Ion Kutaleba is back against Henrique De Silva. Tim Elliott versus Ben Wynn. That's going to be a flyweight contest. Tim Elliott is back down there. And then Alexander Volkanovsky is going to take on Mizuto Hirota. On the prelim card, Damian Brown taking on Vink Pinchel. Pichel, excuse me. At flyweight, John Moraga is back against Ashkan uh, Mokhtarian. Mokhtarian? I can't pronounce these names. Luke Jumo is going to take on Dominic Steele. Uh, Kiichi Kunimoto versus Zach Otto. And then your Fox, excuse me, your UFC Fight Pass card, JJ Aldrich. Uh, ooh, that's fun to see her. The old Invicta uh, fighter 
who has had a bit of an, uh, her lost her UFC debut, but is very, very good. She is going to be taking on Chan Mi Joan, Juan, and then Thibaut Gauthier is taking on Dong Hyun Kim, but not that Dong Hyun Kim. It's a different Dong Hyun Kim. It's a lightweight version. Uh, if you have any questions, you may email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. You can see I have an Instagram and Facebook as well. Same name, Instagram.com slash LukeThomasNews, Facebook.com slash LukeThomasNews. Give those a like and a follow and everything else, and I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for watching. I'll be back next week, and until then, enjoy the fights.